All right, thank you for downloading the Cruise Control Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and on SoundCloud.com. You can follow me, the host, Randy Cruz, on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R-A-N-D-Y, the letter J, C-R-U-Z. This is Billy Corbin, director of Cocaine Cowboys and the 30 for 30s, The U and Broke. And there's nothing we love in Miami more than driving cruise control with no hands, steering with our knee, and not using turn signals, which is kind of what it's like listening to the Cruise Control Podcast with my man, Randy Cruz. All right, we're here on the Cruise Control Podcast with me, Randy Cruz. You can follow me on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J, C-R-U-Z. Talking NBA today with Mike Scotto, the writer, NBA writer, and college basketball writer for both Sheridan Hoops and the Associated Press. Mike Scotto, what's up, my man? How you doing? Hey, Randy, what's going on? Good to be on the line with you and uh, in Cruise Control right now. That's right, that's right. Um... We are just, I think, a week or maybe under a week away from the NBA kicking off. I know you can't wait. I can't wait. Um, before we get into uh, talking about the season, just you as a as a, a longtime basketball fan, what's the feeling like you have now just just anticipating and waiting for the NBA season to, to finally kick off? I would say oh, my emotions right now are – one of excitement because I think this is a very important year for some of the top superstars in the league, mainly uh, you know, you start off with LeBron James. Will he deliver Cleveland the first title it's seen in a long time, uh, one that he's been trying to get Cleveland for a while. You also have Kevin Durant, uh, the arguably the biggest free agent come the summer of 2016, and will he stay, will he go? Certainly that whole saga is going to be a sort of dark cloud over the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think, all year if they don't get off to a really hot start and show Durant that they're a title contender. So those are some interesting plot lines, and, uh, you know, you always have some interesting races in the Rookie of the Year award and MVP award, and I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, those are just some of the things that I'm looking forward to this new NBA season. Now, you do cover the the New York Knicks and, and, and Brooklyn Nets throughout the, the season, and I wanted to first ask you, what have you liked so far from what you've been able to see in the preseason from both the Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets? Well, the first thing that sticks out to me with the New York Knicks is Carmelo Anthony looks rejuvenated. He looks like he's lost some weight, and uh, he looks to be in great playing shape. Now, that's obviously, first and foremost, the most important thing for New York is they're only going to go as far as Carmelo Anthony can take them. Uh, He wants to revert back to the MVP caliber type of player we saw before his injury. Uh, when he finished, I believe, third in the 2013-14 season. So for Carmelo, that's obviously an encouraging sign. Uh, also, Kristaps Porzingis, the number four overall pick. Personally, I was a fan of the selection that the Knicks made in Porzingis. I just felt that if the biggest knock on this young man is his lack of strength at the time of the draft and weight, you know, as you grow up as a young man, you're only going to get stronger. So I felt that if that was the biggest red flag 
or one of, I should say, that he would be able to overcome that. Uh, also, I think the Knicks have more depth in the front court than people give them credit for. They have Robin Lopez, they have Porzingis, you have Melo, you also have uh, Kyle O'Quinn, who seems to have found the role in that triangle offense where he's getting a chance to operate and play more than he did in Orlando. And you also have Kevin Serafin, formerly the Washington Wizards, a proven uh, low-post scorer and a guy that can hit a jump hook at times as well. So I think that's an underrated aspect uh, of the New York Knicks. What have I liked with the Brooklyn Nets? That takes me a little longer to answer because when I look at the Brooklyn Nets, uh, they're in preseason action. I'm a little concerned with them in terms of are they going to be able to keep up with some of the teams that like to push the pace? It was a problem last year. Um, but what, what have I liked? I expect Brooke Lopez to have an all-star caliber season if he remains healthy. He's going to be the focal point of that offense. And I think Jared Jack, although some are questioning whether he can handle a full season as the starting point guard, I think for Jack, uh, you're going to see one of the best seasons of his career because this man's in a contract year. And we all know that when it's time to get paid, NBA players put in a, somehow somewhat stat lines always seem to improve and that 110% effort. Uh, not that Jared hasn't done that in the past. He certainly has. I mean, knowing him personally, I know that he's someone that takes his craft seriously. But with that in mind, I expect an even better year for Jared Jack. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Joe Johnson on the Nets. He'll be dangled as trade bait for the third consecutive season in the last year of his contract. So those are some things to look out for regarding the Nets heading into this season. Now for a very a very important stat to Knicks fans, the Knicks are now 4-1 in the preseason with a new, brand-new, blue-painted court. <laughs> You know, here's the thing, though, with that. (laughs) In in the preseason, you're playing against a Brazilian team who I don't think anybody that's even an avid NBA fan or someone that follows the game 24-7, I I don't even know what division they are in in Brazil. They play the Sixers, who are the NBA version of Tankathon, and... They had a nice win in Washington. You know, that was one thing you wanted to see. A couple of young guards and John Wall and Bradley Bill, if they could stop them, because those are the type of players that are giving them problems in years past, especially with a guy like Jose Calderon, who's advanced in age and uh, not exactly fleet-footed. But, hey, look, it's good to see winning basketball for New York in in any way. If they're going to change the culture, it starts in small ways like that. I just... Don't want Nick fans to get carried away and start thinking, well, oh, we're going to the playoffs. Oh, we're, we're going to go past the first round, this and that. Take it easy. All right. And that, you know, I remember when I put out the preview and I said they were going to be battling for that eighth spot and that they very well may not make the playoffs because Miami has improved dramatically on paper and so is Indiana, uh, in my opinion. You know, those are two teams that didn't make the playoffs last year and could just as well be in the conversation now. So, you know, then Knicks fans, of course, want to get all, you know, don't don't hate, you know, we're, we're doing okay, we're, we're doing all right in the preseason. Preseason doesn't count. 
But that said, there are plenty of encouraging signs if you're a Knicks fan. And honestly, the biggest X factors are going to be Melo, if he's an MVP candidate this year. What are you getting out of Porzingis? And also, I want to follow in a contract year with a player option at the end of this year. You expect him to put up big numbers and have a pretty good season, too. So we'll see what happens with the Knicks. Hey, Mike, you know, uh, for, for people who, who know me, when it comes to, you know, any preseason or even early first five-game stretch of a, of a regular season, and if my team is doing good or not doing good, at some point you you got to keep it real with yourself and say, you know what, my team is decent, my team is very good, or my team is not that good, and we're still uh, a couple of years out. So um, them being 4-1 in preseason – it's just them being 4-1. Like you said, they play the team from overseas. They're not really playing powerhouses. Teams are not even playing at full strength. So the the positive about them being 4-1 is the fact that everybody is still healthy, um, getting a chance to mix well with each other, trying to play out the the, the you know the lineups that, that Fisher is going to be using this season. And, and for a prime example, I did a show a few weeks ago, and I said, listen, when the Knicks were two and one last year, and they came off that that big win in Cleveland, um, I think the 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 second um, game of the season, everybody was like, "Well, the Knicks are two and one," and I'm like, "Yeah, they're two and one. They're playing well." And you know, this is before the the Shumpert and, and Jr. moves, and Melo was still healthy at the time. And I'm like, "Well, yeah, they're, they're two and one," and no one knew that they would go 15 and 64 after that. So my thing is, <laughs> to your point, they're 4-1 in preseason. They were 2-1 last year in a regular season, but not to get our hopes that high because this team could make the playoffs. It might not make the playoffs. But just to see where things go in the early portions, is it's going to be very important for not only the Knicks, but the fans of the Knicks. And not only that, Randy, one thing that I like to point out is I believe at one point the 76ers were either, uh, in, in one of the past years, they were either 3-0 and to start of the season or they had a nice three-game winning streak and they were playing well too. And then, you know, they put the tank in tanking. So, absolutely, the NBA season is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Now, you mentioned some of the moves the Knicks made, um, getting Lopez and Aflalo and drafting Porzingis. Um Shifting gears to what Brooklyn did, um, the next day they traded Darren Williams to the Mavericks. Um, what was your take on them getting rid of Darren Williams? And do you think it was a good thing for both franchises to, for Brooklyn, one get rid of Williams and that big contract, and maybe giving Darren Williams a, a, a I guess, second or third chance of revitalizing his career with the Mavericks? I was shocked on one hand because I didn't think that Darren Williams's albatross contract could be cleared off the payroll, but it speaks volumes to me that he was agreeable to a buyout and the size that he was as well to get out. And as far as I had known from people that I spoke to, Darren was not a fan of being in a quote, you know, big market. And even though it's Brooklyn, still in New York, I think he struggle with the adjustment of living in a in a big city like New York and, and being in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, unfortunately for Darren, injuries, ankle injuries, calf injuries, they derailed what was once uh, an Olympic player. You know, this is a guy that won 
gold medals with Team USA and was in the conversation as the best point guard in the league with Chris Paul, right. uh, you know, years ago. But I think for the Nets, the, the contract made expectations too high for him after, you know, he couldn't stay healthy. Now, what's interesting with Darren was he had flashes of, you know, I forget what it was, a 57-point game he had uh, against Charlotte when they were the Bobcats at the time. Even in the last playoff series they had, he had a 30-something point game against the Bulls uh, at Barclays Center. You know, so with Darren, for him personally... It's a chance to go back home, play in front of his family and friends, and you're never going to see the D-Will that we saw in Utah. That's out the window. I think anybody that believes that is hallucinating. Right. But for the Nets, it also gives them a chance to to turn the page, and I, I think at times avoid a little bit of a distraction because, you know, when you're in the locker room, it's hard to deal with those injury questions every day, and is this guy motivated to play, and there were some players that maybe didn't get along with him necessarily as well. I mean, it's well documented in that Joe Johnson and Darren didn't always click. So I think from that perspective, it, it, it lends a breath of fresh air for Brooklyn. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that they're going to be better than last year. You know, you talked about, you know, what moves they made and you were asking about that. You're bringing in guys like Shane Larkin and Andrea Bargnani who were let go by one of the worst teams in the league last year in the New York mix. Bargnani, it, it's amazing to me you get rid of Darren Williams and then you bring in Bargnani who's as injury-prone as any guy in the league at this point. Uh, also someone that's been questioned as far as his mental fortitude and his desire to play the game uh, at times, you know, after getting a big contract in Toronto. And going with Shane Larkin as your backup, I mean, Shane wasn't even playing that much with the Knicks at times, so mm. I don't know really what you're looking at there. One of the more underrated signings they did have, though, was Thomas Robinson. He's been a rebounding machine for Brooklyn, and I think that he's going to carve out a nice niche alongside Brooke Lopez, who struggles to rebound, but is a great offensive player, whereas Robinson is more of a put-back guy and, you know, doesn't really have any offensive moves, but he's a great rebounder. So those two should kind of form sort of a symbiotic relationship in the front court. I think that's a move that uh, is going to turn out well for them. For Brooklyn, they're banking on Boyang Bogdanovich also having a big year. Uh, at this point, whether that's starting or coming off the bench, we don't know yet, but he's going to play heavy minutes. Uh, he struggled mightily with a shot. Uh, you know, overseas playing for the Croatian national team. And then, uh, you know, at this point, what we've seen in the regular season, he hasn't lived up to the hype. So that's another thing. I mean, they got Wayne Ellington. He's been playing the two right now and started for them in one of their preseason games that Lionel Holland called a dress rehearsal. So is that going to be the starting shooting guard for the Nets? Yeah, there's a lot of variables for Brooklyn right now. And, yeah, as I wrote in my preview, I personally don't see them making the playoffs either at this point. Uh, from what I've seen before the preseason, you're talking about training camp and the preseason now, nothing has changed my opinion of that. We're chatting with Mike Scotto, NBA and college basketball writer for both Sheridan Hoops and the Associated Press. Now, Mike, it was just, I believe, it was just like three years ago when we were talking about the Brooklyn Nets and their championship window with 
Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, D. Will, Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez, even Jason Kidd as their head coach. Um, just one, you know, just a couple days or weeks uh, coming off the season he had with the Knicks. Now, the only ones that remain still are Joe Johnson and, and Brooke Lopez. How quickly has this team and the culture changed in the past three years for the Brooklyn Nets? Well, I mean, when you look at this team on paper, you know, Joe's not going to be there that long either, and Brooke's the core guy that they have now going forward. But you, you mentioned the coaches. At one point, they had Avery Johnson, they had P.J. Carlesimo, and you had Kidd. Uh, there was no continuity with that team. And, you know, that was one thing, actually, that Darren Williams said was one of his biggest problems was having a new system every year and, you know, lack of pick and rolls. It's, it, when they went and swung for the fences and getting Garnett and Pierce, that was really the defining moment in, in the franchise's five-year championship plan. Uh, ultimately, it gave them a one-year title window. They wished, and uh, now you're picking up the pieces at this point. But... You know, having Lionel Hollins is interesting right now because I thought Lionel might have been the guy for them the year that they had Kid when they had Garnett and Pierce. Hollins is much better with veterans than he is with developing younger players, and that's the mode that Brooklyn's trying to gear towards right now. So I wonder if that's going to be a fit uh, for much longer down the road. But, you know, it always seems like when you talked about some of the moves and the coaching changes, it seemed like they were a step behind in a sense with that. Had you gotten Garnett or Pierce maybe a year or two earlier than that, when they still had a little bit more left to give, then maybe you could have made a run. Same thing with the coaching change. I could go to having a kid as a rookie head coach at the time when you were going for a title. I know work with Steve Kerr. Uh, with the Golden State Warriors, but that's a rare circumstance. So uh, some of the moves that they made, you, you just wonder about the timing, if they could have been meshed a little bit better. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. It just, you know, that was like, what, 2012-13 season, and, you know, we fast forward to now 2015-16 uh, season, and the players are different, the culture is different, the team has changed, and... It's just like, you know, me and you even did uh, a couple shows back then, like, oh, the Brooklyn Nets, New York Knicks, the rivalry is back, and, and you know, Brooklyn is going to, they both made the playoffs that year, and now, you know, for both franchises, it's like, you know, in your opinion, who, which franchise has the, uh, I guess, the better upside going forward the next two, three, five years? Is it Brooklyn or is it New York? I'm going to say New York because they were able to have Porzingis. Brooklyn doesn't have a first-round pick this year if they struggle mightily, which I expect. That's a huge blow. Um, You know, if you're Brooklyn, you're basing the future on acquiring free agents and trades. You know, the draft, after you made the Garnett and Pierce deal, the draft isn't really an option for another few years. So the only way that you can make the team better at this point, realistically, are through free agent signings and and uh, trades. And I, I don't see a lot of superstars looking at Brooklyn right now as a big destination. And you only have really Brook Lopez there and not much else. Uh, with New York, uh, 
you have Carmelo, and on one hand, that's a plus and a negative because some some guys around the league view that as a negative because they don't think Melo passes the ball enough. I mean, this is just some players, this is what some of them have said, uh, you know, off the record and whatnot, but you also have Porzingis. He's an X-Factor. Can he be the next, you know, every foreign player is compared to the next Dirk, but can he be the next big-time foreign player that comes over here and makes a name for himself? That's an X-Factor. What about Jerry and Grant? You know, he's a young point guard. He's only going to get better, but people are going to need to see where he's at now before they want to catch passes from the young guard out of Notre Dame. So I would say New York is better looking towards the immediate future, and I think Phil Jackson still has some pull regarding getting some free agents. You know, don't don't discount guys like Robin Lopez and Aaron Powell. Those are two starting caliber players in the NBA that he was able to get in free agency at, at reasonable prices. Right. So I think you have to take that into account, that even though you know you maybe have wanted Monroe and some of the other bigger free agent names, he didn't whiff. He still he, he whiffed in terms of trying to get superstars, but he still recovered adequately, I thought to fill two starting positions that they needed to improve. So in that regard, I would say overall, New York is better prepared for the next few years down the road. I read your your recent uh, review or preview of the New York Knicks and their season coming up, and uh, when you mentioned Porzingis, you said Dirk is the ceiling, Bargnani is the floor, and Darko Milicic is the nightmare comparison and, of course, we got Phil Jackson comparing him to Sean Bradley. Um, will he contribute much in his rookie year? What has impressed you the most of what you've been able to see from him in the preseason? I think he is going to contribute because the plan all along has been to get him 20 to 25 minutes a game. You know, maybe he'll get 30 if he really progresses well. But that alone is going to give him a chance to be a contributor. He's going to play meaningful minutes. Now, the other scenario that I find interesting with him is he can be a pick-and-pop guy, and he's shown the ability to shoot the jumper well enough. I just want to see if he's able, because he's put on a lot of weight to bulk up and, you know, be prepared for some of the banging down low in the post, but one of the big things that made him an attractive option was his athleticism. As long as his athleticism isn't detracted by the weight gain, then I think that he's going to be a very productive player. I really do. Am I going to say he's the rookie of the year? No. But I think that he's going to be a valuable contributor to this team. I can't put a, a statistical figure on that, but if you're playing 20 to 25 minutes as a rookie, you kind of have to be a valuable contributor. So... He'll get every opportunity. I think he's going to get more shots than people think, even though Melo and Flower are in this offense, because he would be, if he's, just, if he's a starter, that's their third guy right there. He's the third best scorer. So he will have an opportunity to be a productive guy in the rotation, no doubt about it. Now, Derek Fisher is entering year two as the Knicks head coach, which also means we are entering year two of the triangle offense. Um, now that he has a better roster this year than he did last year. What are you expecting from Derek Fisher this season? Do you think the triangle offense will be used majority of the time this year? 
I think it's either going to be triangle or heavy pick and roll, top of the key with Jerry and Grant, showing the ability to excel in that regard. He's also a quick learner, so they can. I think there'll be an even mix of both. There's a lot of pressure, I think, on Fisher to show that he's an adequate coach at this point. You got to pass last year when Carmelo was out for half the season, and you know they traded away guys like Jr. and Shumpert, and you know you went with guys that were borderline D leaguers at one point. So he got a pass with that. However, when they were competitive before all this happened, through the first 15 games or so, there was a lot of close games, and I questioned some of his lineup decisions and timeout usage with the clock. So I want to see if he's made progress in that regard. And, you know, down the road, the whole situation with Matt Barnes is a strange wife. Depending on legal proceedings, that could be a distraction, and you never want that uh, if you're an NBA team to have your coach be a possible distraction in any way. So I want to see how he handles himself off the court with the legal proceedings, but on the court, is he going to get is he going to get Melo to play defense the way he has been in the preseason through 82 games? You know, I want to see if he can maximize the potential of Porzingis and. This team, in my opinion, should win somewhere between 30, 35, I would say, games at this point, even though I know they had a nice regular, uh, excuse me, preseason. If they don't hit that plateau, if they don't win 30 games, there's a real red flag there, in my opinion, and everybody's healthy and whatnot, then that would raise a red flag with me. Uh, you know, I know Phil's kind of said about being more hands-on and whatnot. Maybe he has to be. Maybe he needs to, you know, guide him a little more in the process. But there's no doubt in my mind that this is not a make-or-break year for Fisher, but it's certainly one where he needs to put a stamp on this team, especially with a big free agency class coming up in the summer. Guys are going to look at this situation and say, is this a guy that I want to play for? Is this a guy that's going to take me to the next level and make the team on with a title contender. There's a lot riding on the season for Derek Fisher, whether he knows it or not. Yeah, I mean, if you know, when you say he he has to win 30, um, 30 is a hell of a lot better than 17 <laughs> from last year, Mike. <laughs> yeah, and you know, normally you wouldn't think of a team doubling their win total necessarily, but you added two key starters in the offseason with Lopez and Aflalo. You got the number four overall pick. You got Porzingis. He could potentially start to. You're getting an all-star caliber player and a, you know, at worst, I mean at worst, a top 15 player, more like a top 10 player in Carmelo Anthony that is coming back healthy. You have the ingredients to double such a low win total from last year. It's not like it's an unreasonable expectation. Melo is healthy, uh, Mike. I think a lot of fans are happy to see that. His, his jump shot his jump shot has been looking good in the preseason. Looks slim. Um, very impressive in the preseason. He's 31, Mike. Um, in your honest opinion, how many, how many elite years does Carmelo Anthony have left if he remains healthy? I think Carmelo has another three years or so in an, uh, an elite superstar level or all-star level at this point. He's been nicked up with injuries, including his shoulder injuries over the past few years. And One thing you got to remember about Carmelo is 
you know, he came into the NBA after one season at Syracuse, and he's been on the Olympic team for a number of years. All those extra games, and it's it's just going to be sort of too much tread on his tires, I think, at this point. I know he's 31 in a calendar year, but in terms of basketball years, it's more like 33. So that'll put a little bit more of a an emphasis on New York to maximize what they can out of them in the short term. One more question before I go into some other NBA stuff. Um, in your column, you have Brooklyn winning an estimate 38, 38 wins and New York having 35. So you're you're saying that the Brooklyn Nets have a better chance at making the playoffs in the East than the Knicks, right? In theory, coming into the preseason when I wrote it, yeah. Now, after the preseason, you can make a case that the Knicks, I mean, obviously, again, it's the preseason, but the Knicks have just as good a chance as Brooklyn. I, honestly, it's it's kind of a toss-up at this point. Um, it's too many variables with both teams. I mean, I don't think, overall at this point, I'm not willing to say either one of those teams is going to make the playoffs. I'll say that. You know, whether they get in between 30, 38 wins, that's up to them. But as far as a playoff seed, I still don't see it at this point for either one of them because Miami improved in the offseason, and they didn't make the playoffs last year, and so did Indiana. Now, Brooklyn barely made the playoffs last year. I don't see them better than either one of those two teams, so that drops them down. New York was at the bottom of the standings. Even with the additions of a flower, Lopez, Porzingis, and healthy Melo, you still can't guarantee that they're going to win even half their games. And in the East, to get one of those bottom seeds, you may only need in the high 30s to make the playoffs. So that's why at this point I don't have either one of those teams making the playoffs at this point. We're chatting with Mike Scotto, NBA and college basketball writer for Sheridan Hoops and the Associated Press. Um, Other NBA stuff, we have... Um, the Golden State Warriors, they won last year, beat Cleveland in the NBA Finals. A lot of people felt like, you know, they had an easy route in winning the the, the championship. Cleveland was without love and Kyrie. Um, they did not have to play the Clippers or the Spurs in the playoffs. Um, injuries to uh, Houston, Memphis, and New Orleans. So people thought that, yeah, they won the championship, but they did not beat anybody at full strength. Um in your opinion, what are your chance? What are the chances of Golden State repeating as NBA champions? I think Golden State has just as good a chance as anybody else. They have one of the youngest cores in the league, and they're the reigning MVP in Steph Curry. And you know, right off the bat, that has to put you in the conversation. I I would like to see Steve Kerr get back on the sidelines. You know, obviously, we wish him all the best at this point, but. Um, you know, I think obviously San Antonio's in that conversation. When you go from having Tiago Splitter and Tim Duncan in your front court to Lamar Soldiers and Tim Duncan, that's a huge upgrade. And they've always been excellent in terms of chemistry and guys knowing their roles on that team. Uh, you know, another team that I'm keeping an eye on is the Los Angeles Clippers. You mentioned them before. I'm just curious if there's going to be enough basketballs to go around with Jamal Crawford, Josh Smith, and all these, and Lance Stevenson, all these guys they have. But on paper, boy, oof, they are talented. And 
ultimately in the NBA, you win with talent. So those are some of my contenders. Obviously, in the East, you have the Cavaliers. I know they're banged up. I know they're missing Kyrie. But the Tristan Thompson situation isn't going anywhere. They have guys uh, shumpered out until, I believe, January. Uh, he's your starting two. You know, Varejao's coming back from an Achilles injury. Kevin Love is coming back from shoulder surgery. You have a lot of questions there. But in the weak Eastern Conference, they should still be an elite team. I look for the Milwaukee Bucks to make a pretty substantial jump. I think the addition of Greg Monroe is exactly what they needed in a low-post score. Um, and re-signing Chris Milton, their only shooter, really, that can stretch the floor in the starting five was vital. I'm um, curious to see how Michael Carter-Williams does with a full year under Jason Kidd's tutelage. And, you know, other than that, again, I've spoken about Miami before. Can Hassan Whiteside do what he did for X amount of games last season over a full 82-game season in the starting lineup? What's Chris Bosh going to give you when he comes back? You know, you have Goran Dragic re-signed. How long is Wade going to play? How many games is he going to play? Is he going to give you 50-something games or 60, high 60s? You know, that all adds into the equation here. You have Justice Winslow in the draft. You add him. The vital piece right there, the guy that can come off the bench and be a significant contributor. You know, with that said, those are teams that I look at. And I know, obviously, I, I didn't really mention the Bulls, but, I, you know, I really I think the Bulls have peaked. I don't think they're a finals contender. I think they're one of the better teams in the East, but what does that say in, in an Eastern Conference that's not that, you know, high in terms of the top-tier teams? So, you know, with that in mind, I think that those teams that I've mentioned, those are some teams that you could really see compete for a title. But obviously the West is where it's at. It's, it's loaded there. And, you know, I understand where some people say they could try to discredit what the Golden State Warriors did. However, they are champions. You can't take that away from them. They still beat teams that were good. I, I don't want to hear that nonsense about them not winning a legitimate championship. Anytime you win in the NBA with 450 total of the best players in the world, it's significant and should not be discredited at all. It's, you know... Sometimes that's just how the, the playoff seedings come about. There's nothing that's out of their control. It's not their fault that they had the best record in the Western Conference. You know, like, I can't see how that is something that gets taken away from them, personally. Now, we all know that San Antonio made, you know, I guess the the biggest free agent acquisition and getting LaMarcus Aldridge, but in your opinion, what other off-season moves you felt made the, made the biggest impact? Uh, well, now, I'll say, you know, just going through the uh, the, the standings here, looking at preseason, let's start with Charlotte, you get Nicholas Batum, uh, you're going to need him in the wake of the Michael Kidd-Gilchrist injury at small forward. Um, I think Indiana getting Monte Ellis a proven score over something they needed. Uh, you know, Washington, I think, a huge loss with Paul Pierce and his leadership. Uh, i trying to think of other free agents that were added. Um, Toronto getting Damari Cattle is interesting. Obviously, he strengthens their core, but was last season kind of a fluke year for him. 
and this is this is a guy that kind of came into his own a little bit later on. So that's going to be interesting to see. They're paying a lot of money to him. Uh, let's see who else. You also had the Clippers getting Josh Smith and Lance Stevenson. Houston getting Ty Lawson. I think. Well, I think the Clippers certainly fortified their bench, which was the biggest weakness they had. There was nothing more they could have done. Uh, it's going to be interesting chemistry-wise to see what they do with Stevenson, Crawford, and Josh Smith and trying to keep them all happy. But, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Houston with Ty Lawson. Certainly it's an upgrade. Um, they, they were decently close last year to being finals contenders. I, I'm curious if James Harden is going to have another MVP caliber season uh, just because he had such a great year last year. So it's almost hard to duplicate those numbers, but if anybody can, it's him. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, certainly. I'm trying to think if there's any other teams otherwise that really made moves. Obviously, Dallas, after losing out on DeAndre Jordan, um, kind of had a scramble. And, you know, you pick up Wesley Matthews, but you don't really know what you're going to get out of him. And, same thing with Darren Williams. I think they did more quantity over quality at that point. Not that they had any choice in such a rare circumstance when one of the top free agents agrees to a deal and then backs out. But ultimately, you know, certainly the Clippers and the Spurs, you have to look at as the two teams that bettered themselves the most in free agency. Now, I think today or yesterday or recently, um, there was a, a, a GM poll, NBA.com. Um, 86% of people said they will start their franchise with Anthony Davis today over LeBron and Kevin Durant. I think LeBron and Durant got 7% of the votes. Um, is that because he's that good or the fact that Anthony Davis is much younger than both Durant and LeBron and both have had some injuries in the past? Well, Anthony Davis is really good, and he's yeah, a guy yeah. that – I'm looking at it as an MVP candidate this year. He's in his early 20s, and with that in mind, anytime if you, if you got to start a franchise, you got to remember LeBron uh, in his early 30s and Durant late 20s. You know, I I think a lot more of it has to do with Davis's age. But by no means are we discrediting how great of a player Anthony Davis is at such a young age. You know, this is a guy that last season. He nearly became the fourth player, uh, along with Michael Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, and LeBron, that would have had a player efficiency over 31. He just missed it at 30.8. So that's just to put in context how good Anthony Davis is. He is a franchise player and everything that New Orleans hoped for with the number one overall pick. I agree with the GMs. I would start my franchise with Anthony Davis if I had to tomorrow looking long-term as well. But for him to be an MVP candidate, which I agree with you, this year could be um, that kind of year for him. But that means him and the team will have to go from eighth in the West to, what, third, fourth, at least to be? Well, well, let me say one thing, Randy. Who had the Clippers, excuse me, who had the Pelicans last year in the playoffs? I did. <laughs> I, think, I think him taking them to the playoffs was worth MVP candidacy. Now, granted, mm. obviously last year was an incredible year, and you had Harden, Curry, 
Uh, Chris Paul is playing it at all uh, an MVP caliber level too. Right. Russell Westbrook was a walking triple double. Uh, extremely tough circumstances for him to win the MVP. But I thought the job that he did in in, in carrying that Pelicans team into the playoffs, they, they had lost Holiday for a while, and they had other injuries that they dealt with overall. That man, night in and night out, was a monster, an absolute monster. Fear the brow. Fear the unibrow. Hashtag fear the brow. Um, just a couple more for you, Mike. Um, it seemed that you and some GMs happened to be on the same page because you and and some GMs said that Stephen Curry is the best point guard in the NBA. And, you know, my question is, has he totally surpassed Chris Paul as the best point guard in the NBA with him winning a championship and the, and the MVP last year? Well, let's put it this way. I don't think you can go wrong picking the reigning MVP. I won't say I'm Einstein on that one, but... I. With that alone, in the year he had, it, they're different games. Stephen Curry is such a, a gifted scorer. He is the best shooter off uh, off the dribble that I've seen in a long time and possibly ever. Uh, what he does with a basketball, it, he makes it look like a yo-yo. It's remarkable. Um, that said, Chris Paul is the best facilitator in the NBA. He is the best point guard in that regard. You know, he still continues to lead the league in assists. And, you know, just narrowly over John Wall last year. But nonetheless, uh, those two were the only guys average over 10 assists. I think as a facilitator, Chris Paul is still the best. Overall, I don't think you can go wrong with Curry. You can also make a case that Russell Westbrook, again, a walking triple-double, because he gets those rebounds and scores at a higher rate than Chris, you can make the argument that you would take Russell Westbrook over Chris Paul. You know, Chris isn't getting any younger. Not to say that he's old by any means, but you know, Chris is in his prime towards the last few years. Russell Westbrook still has a lot more basketball left in him, provided he stays healthy. And obviously you can say the same thing about Stephen Curry. All right, final three, Mike. The biggest threat to the Warriors in the Western Conference is? San Antonio Spurs. The biggest threat to the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference? I'm going to say the Milwaukee Bucks. You know really? why? Because they don't know any better. They're young. They don't, they're not a team that's going to be afraid. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to eventually beat Cleveland, but just because, you know, youthful ignorance, I'll say. And I like that. I love, really like them. They're a good young team, well-rounded. Okay, I, I would have... I'm not going to say Chicago because I think, like you said, they've peaked and everything hinders on Derrick Rose remaining healthy. But even when he is playing, um, they just can't beat LeBron and the Cavaliers. I I thought you would have said Miami because a a lot of people are high on, um, you know, D-Wade coming back healthy. So it's Bosh. They they got some free agent acquisitions. They drafted Winslow. So – I mean, and not many people are still believing in the Hawks. Maybe they felt like that was just a 160-win season, and they don't think they can, you know, repeat going to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. But um, I'm shocked you said Milwaukee. I would have said Miami, but I guess we are we agree to disagree, man. <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't by any means disagree with what you said. I I definitely believe Miami is a contender in the East. But you know what? 
I, I want to have some fun. I think I think Milwaukee's going to make a rise. Now, that's not to say that Miami can't get Cleveland on a run for its money, but I don't think anybody would say Milwaukee. That's part of the reason why I went with that answer. Mm. Last one. Um, I mean, I don't want to sound biased because I am a LeBron James fan. I, I've been so since he came in the league, and um, I'm just getting tired and annoyed of him going to the NBA Finals and majority of the time, you know, losing the the NBA Finals. And what is the likelihood that LeBron James gets his third NBA championship this season? Well, technically, likely it's fifty-fifty. Either will or he won't. <laughs> Just to be kind of sarcastic, but um, you know, I don't know what it is. My gut tells me they won't win the title this year just because it would make it a little bit more interesting what he does in the summer. And yeah, I think this whole Tristan Thompson thing has gotten a little out of hand at this point. Obviously, they're dealing with a ton of injuries, and he's going to have to carry that team. Not to say that he can't, he's the best player in the world, but he's got to carry that team for 82 games. And then in the playoffs to another grueling stint, Coming off playing with Team USA, you know, in the mini camp as well, you know, boy, I mean, how much can you put on a guy's shoulders? I know they're pretty broad, but I'm just saying. Um, I, I don't know, you know, Randy, you bring up an interesting point about him going to the finals and not winning. Uh, if he won a title in Cleveland, obviously it would tremendously add to his legacy. But if he, you know, didn't get it done this year, I. Obviously, there are going to be some questions raised. Yeah, I, I mean, the question is going to be whether he stays, whether he, he's going somewhere else. I, I I just don't see LeBron leaving the Cavaliers if they don't win this year. I don't see him leaving even if, even if they do. Um, I think for his brand, for his look, I think he's he's come back to Cleveland to stay in Cleveland. I just don't see him. I mean, where else do I see LeBron going? Like, he's not going back to Miami. He 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 won't be a Laker. He won't be a Knicks. So outside of the major markets, I just don't see LeBron going anywhere else besides Cleveland. And um, you know, without like I said, without me being biased, I am a fan of LeBron. And and for me to see him win his third ring for a city that you know he grew up in and wants to win a title for. And to win their first NBA championship, I think, I mean, I think that's a story right there. If it's not LeBron, Mike, maybe Kevin Durant, because uh, I am a Kevin Durant fan. But um, I just know this season it's going to be very interesting, a lot of ups and downs, and some teams are going to shock you, some teams are going to, you know, disappoint, like like Portland. Um, but if Golden State wins again, I'm happy because. Everybody in the world was watching that finals, going to state in Cleveland. As long as you give me a good finals, good entertaining, um, a very competitive finals, then I'm all for it. But if it's not LeBron, it's Kevin Durant for me uh, trying to win a championship this season. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be the summer of KD one way or the other. And they got a lot of they got, they've got to show – him that one Billy Donovan is the right guy to lead this team going forward um, and yeah, can Serge Ibaka continue to develop are, are you okay with the supporting cast of Ennis Cantor and Dion Waiters 
down the road, is that going to be substantial enough to get you a title? Uh, and if obviously Durant can stay healthy, a lot of a lot of plow lines to look at in Oklahoma City and across the league. It's going to make for a great year, no doubt. And obviously that's why you and I are some of the many people in the world that are excited for the season to start in about a week or so. Maybe Kevin Durant and, and Carmelo Anthony together might look good, man. Yeah, sure. And Kobe Bryant, too, while we're at it, right? <laughs> that, uh, a funny rumor going around. I, you know what? They, they are good friends. I mean, Durant and Melo are good friends, but you know what? Who knows? Who knows? We'll see. Hey, man, at some we'll point... That. <laughs> yeah, at some point, we're going to, you know, entertain that. And um, if it happens... Hey, man, great for New York. If not, maybe Durant stays. Maybe he goes to uh, Washington. You know, that, that that's where he grew up. And maybe a Laker, maybe a Nick. But um, knowing Durant, he won't say much. You know, we're going to really have to wait till the summertime to figure this whole thing out. But, Mike, always great having you on. Again, he's Mike Scotto. He's on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto, M-I-K-E-A-S-C-O-T-T-O. Um, he's the NBA writer and college basketball writer for Sheridan Hoops and the Associated Press. Um, Mike, always great having you on, man. Likewise, always good to talk with you, Randy. And uh, I like I like riding and cruise control. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You got it. Have a great day. All right, you too.